Welcome to Beliefs of the Heart Weekly Reflection. I'm Sam Williamson, and today we're discussing counterfeit spirituality. Three years ago, my wife and I hosted a smart, promising young woman for dinner. Though well-liked and professionally successful, she was suffering from severe depression. Her spiritual background was a mixture of Buddhist yoga and meditation blended with inspirational therapeutic Christianity. Her favorite Christian preacher was Joel Olstein. She said that Olstein's preachings weren't as biblically based as they were encouraging tips and techniques buoyed by a verse or two from scripture. He made up for his scanty biblical basis by telling inspirational stories and offering common sense wisdom. For example, she had recently heard Olstein explain that a deep spiritual life is like driving a car. You have an enormous front windshield and a dinky rearview mirror. If you want a rich, full life, he urged my friend to invest her energy looking forward to unlimited potential and then occasionally, although rarely, glance back at the past. A year later, this promising young woman tried to kill herself. When counterfeit common sense contradicts scripture. Her situation was complicated. Dozens of factors contributed, and I hesitated to mention Osteen's name because I've never heard him preach, but he was the preacher she listened to, and that seemingly stirring counseling metaphor of looking forward was her main takeaway from his preaching. This popular cliche, Osteen simply adopted it, completely contradicts scripture. Only the modern world tells us to fix our eyes forward. God repeatedly commands us to gaze backward. When a situation is too big to handle, God commands, If you say in your heart, these nations are too great for me, you shall not fear them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. If concerned about future provisions, God encourages us, Remember the whole way that the Lord your God led you for 40 years in the wilderness and fed you with manna, and your clothing did not wear out. If you're feeling worthless, God reminds us, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his treasured possession out of all the people on the face of the earth. When proud of our successes, God warns, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you power to get wealth. God's counsel for every trouble we ever face today is to look to yesterday. The answers for our past and future, and the greatest God has given humanity, is history, or his story. The shallow wisdom of counterfeit spirituality. If your parents neglected you or your spouse abused you, it feels freeing to, quote, look to the future and leave the past in the rearview mirror, end quote. But that advice is counterfeit. The past still has its fangs in our hearts, even when our eyes are tight shut. Forgetting that venom isn't freedom, liberty only comes when the past is defanged and the blood is cleansed with an anti-venom. Many spiritual tips and techniques seem wise in the moment, especially when that quote, wisdom, end quote, is accompanied by cutesy metaphors. But what tastes sweet in one moment can cause cancer in the next. And the cure for past hurts is to look to the deeper past, to his story, to see a father who never forgot you and a spouse so faithful that it cost his life to rescue you. Biblical scholars debate which command of God is most frequently echoed. And the two most repeated commands are, quote, have no idols, end quote, and, quote, remember, end quote. And really, 
they are the same thing. When we remember God, our idols look stupid. And our idols are any solution for our problems that are devoid of resting in God, even when they're cute. Besides, the future isn't always lollipops and sunshine. Sometimes you really are getting older or weaker or more forgetful. And more of your friends will die someday, even you. We need God, not cutesy counterfeits. We asked our suffering friend what ran through her mind when suffering depression. She said, 75% of my thoughts repeat these phrases. This will never end. I will never be free of this sadness. To advise her to look only to the future, a future of seeming unending suffering, is spiritual malpractice. God commands the opposite. The only cure for her future and for our future is to look to the past, to remember God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that the lion is on the prowl for our good. Everything he sends is necessary for our good, and nothing he withholds can be necessary. My friend's struggles were multidimensional. I know many readers have lost loved ones to suicide. I've never suffered depression, and I in no way mean to disparage those who suffer depression or have taken their lives. My point is this. As believers, it is absolutely critical that we offer what God has uniquely given us to bring to the world. The world doesn't need us to echo their advice. They need God's advice. That's why Paul said, I only preach the cross. Paul's gospel spirituality is this. The only way to move forward is to look in the rearview mirror. Last week, I quoted a writer who said, the quality of my writing was the measure of my life. And he was referencing a time when his writing wasn't very good, but he couldn't even admit it to himself because the more he thought about the badness of his writing, the worse he felt about himself. So he's dishonest. But in the end, he finally was able to look back and recognize that this, this owner of his life, this taskmaster of his life was the quality of his writing. And if he could, if he could get free of that taskmaster, then his life would be free. I love the line, the quality of my writing was the measure of my life, because really what scripture is saying is the quality of his work, of Christ's work, is the measure of our lives. And to the degree that we can say the quality of the life of Christ, God gave his life, Jesus lived the life that we should have lived so that he could give us the reward that he deserved. And to the degree that we can look back at Jesus literally living the life that we should have lived, always honoring the Father, always being true to his word, always being loving, always being gracious, always telling the truth, all in the correct way. If we can see Jesus living that life perfectly and saying God is giving us his reward, then the quality of his life, Jesus, is the measure of our life. The quality of his work is the measure of our life. All of a sudden, we can have grace. We can have peace. I realize that the the answers of the world tend to be tips and techniques. They tend to be smart. They tend to be clever. But God's answers always is just the reality of Jesus' life. That you know, the the Second Corinthians passage says all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. All the promises of God are not when we do things perfectly. It's the fact that He did things perfectly, and that's the reason I I. Don't like Osteen's comment about looking in the rearview mirror as though it's just a small rearview mirror and we have the front windshield. Look, I know it's clever. I know it's smart. But I just think it, it was terribly misleading. 
Now, this is complicated by the fact that I've been doing a six-month study on the book of Deuteronomy, and it seems to me like every third sentence is some kind of reminder of what Christ, of what God did in bringing them out of Egypt, what God did when he crossed the Red Sea, what God did when he fed them water, or fed them manna and meat, and then he gave them water to drink. God constantly refers back to, remember what I did here, remember what I did here, remember what I did here. And when we see that true God, what he did... It gives us a confidence and a peace and a grace to handle today's problems. Now, I had a lot of readers say to me, did you really have to mention Joel Olstein's name? And you know, I, I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel like I've, I've written 25, 30 articles in the past about what I call false spirituality. And I've never mentioned that Christian leader's name before. And so... I really just thought long and hard about naming him, and after finally deciding to do it, I still don't know if I should have done it. On the other hand, God says we we are going to have people in our midst who are fierce wolves, who, who are distracting us from the true gospel. And at least in this instance, I think that was a false message that distracted us from the true gospel. Should I have named him? I don't know. I feel like I feel like I have been too cowardly in the past. I want to I want to strike the right balance between love and truth. Am I being defensive now? Yes, <laughs> but I don't know what the right answer is. I, I think being silent is not the right answer. Maybe naming them too much is not the right answer. I, I think the right answer is we want to point people to Jesus, which means we have to go back and remember. Paul went out of his way to say he didn't speak with great rhetoric, not with great tips and techniques, just the cross and the resurrection. Oswald Chambers said, we're sent by God to lift up Jesus Christ, not to give wonderfully beautiful speeches. I don't know. If you think I was wrong, let me know, because I don't know. Now, a couple writers responded, a couple commenters said, Sam, in Philippians 3, Paul says, and they paraphrase it, but I'll actually quote it. Philippians 3.13, Paul says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So they said, Sam, you're telling us to look back. That's our answer. And Paul's saying what he's doing is he's forgetting to look back. He's forgetting what lies behind. Isn't that a great question? Aren't they clever? But here's the answer. Earlier in in Philippians 3, Paul starts listing all his self-reliance and self-salvation things. He said, I was a child of Abraham. I lived according to the law. I was a PhD student. He was was claiming all his self-reliance. And when he says, the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, he says, I am forgetting my self-reliance. I am forgetting my self-salvation. I am clinging to what Jesus did. And that's what we're supposed to do, too, is we forget our self-reliance. Because really, isn't almost every sin a kind of self-reliance? Isn't every sin a kind of no longer worshiping God? Why do we lie? Because we're not worshiping God. Why do we exaggerate stories about ourselves? Because we're not worshiping God. Why do we accept the the answers of the world? Because we're not worshiping God. Paul is saying, I want to forget the answers of the world, including my own self-salvation, and just strain forward to God alone, which, which, you know, it lies lies behind him and it lies ahead. So I also love several commenters just commented on Psalms that the Psalms are filled with remembering Jesus, uh, remembering God. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. 
Psalm 42, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from all these other lands apart. So God does call us to remember him, but that we remember him to know the real God. And when we come to know the real God and what he's done in the past, we have hope and confidence, not an arrogant confidence. It's a humble confidence. Look what he did. I didn't do it. So Paul's Paul's forgetting the past was humility, forgetting his great past. And in humility, he says, I can strain forward to the future because I have a confidence in God because I see all that he's done for me. So I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please join us by following this podcast or liking it. And visit our website, beliefsoftheheart.com for more articles, books, videos, podcasts, and courses, all designed to foster intimate theology, deepening a real relationship with the real God who is there. See you next week.